Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, and me, half a term at Reading University's Kevin Day. Hello, Kieran, how are you? I'm, I'm very good, uh, Kevin. I didn't know you'd gone to Reading University. Yes, I was. Uh, I was studying archaeology at Reading University for six weeks and fell in love, was required to leave. And also I had to, I had to hump as I didn't get, a, I, I was expecting a trowel on my first day and didn't get a trowel. Although then, ironically, I became a builder and got a trail on my first day doing that. Um, it's questions day, Kieran. Um, the first of which is how much does Man United fan producer Guy regret his hilarious Carabao Cup questions now? Eh? <laughs> I told him, I, I, I said, let's let's hope Palace don't beat Man United at Old Trafford because it'll be payback time. Let's, uh, Man United fans listening to this, it's because of producer Guy that you lost to Palace yesterday. He taunted me karma-wise. Uh, before the proper questions, Kieran, we have some news stories. FIFA have been calculating how much world football has lost during the COVID crisis. Uh, yes, and, it, and they estimate it's probably going to cost around about a third of their normal total annual revenue. So, so we're talking around about eleven billion pounds. Um, they 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 have decided that they're going to sort of give grants to lots of the member countries, and they've already had one hundred and fifty applications for uh, around about one point five million dollars per per member of FIFA. And, and I get a little bit twitchy about this um, because uh, my my experience of, of observing FIFA and governance is, is it, it, they do have a hard job to begin with to, to keep an eye on what happens to the money. Uh, and if they're having to give it out for these, these grants, uh, where it's going to end up, given mm. the behaviour of many FIFA members in the past, heaven only knows. Well, also what I take from that is the FIFA's annual income is thirty-three billion pounds. Well, that—that's football's annual income. Uh, if, if you take a look at FIFA's oh, right. accounts, they—they they tend to be crap, crap, crap. Great, uh, you know, they are so dependent upon the World Cup. Oh, okay. um, I mean, the good news from FIFA's point of view is that they—they had—they had seven hundred and eighty million dollars of cash sloshing around, and I, I use that word sloshing advisedly, in a bank account at the end of December 2019. They had a further $3 billion uh, of what we refer to as financial assets. So these will be sort of short-term loans to people or government bonds and that stuff. So so FIFA is, is cash rich, uh, so it can afford to distribute money. Uh, where that money is going to end up, we, we're not sure. 
Um, but FIFA estimates that that uh, Europe, UEFA, is, go- is going to take the biggest hit financially uh, in absolute terms, in, in dollar terms. But it's most worried about South America because that's going to take the biggest percentage hit uh, because the clubs there are so reliant upon international matches, but also selling players to Europe uh, as a means of generating cash. And those those two streams of income simply aren't taking place. Of course, yeah. I don't think you need to use the word sloshing advisedly, Kieran. If it had been slushing, I think you probably would have to use that advisedly. But <laughs> sloshing, I think you're fine with. Um, now, this is a slightly odd one, I think, Kieran, and I'll explain why afterwards if you don't explain in the body of your answer, of course. The, the Premier League say they will provide financial support to the EFL, but only if the Championship introduces a player wage cap. Now, it's only a week or so since the Premier League are asking for other conditions as well, so they seem determined not to give any money out to EFL, don't they? Yeah, th- th- this is this is a strange one uh, because the EFL have said, well, we don't want to have a begging bowl, so I, we don't want money from the Premier League. Um, but it does seem that... Uh, that the government is putting pressure on, on the football industry to to sort of help the help the less well off. Mm. There is talk about a loan either from the Premier League or perhaps guaranteed by the Premier League to the EFL. Um, but what we are seeing, um, and, and this has always been the case when it comes to the Premier League, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So that they they don't tend to spontaneously give things away. So it looks as if this could be linked a for the uh, support from the EFL for the Premier League's Brexit policy uh, in terms of recruiting players from uh, EU countries where uh, historically, you know, you you think about our two clubs, we're we're not always signing internationals from Europe, but you've got the likes of Max Meyer and Mm. and we've seen players um, who weren't necessarily internationals, but who were still decent players. So those those clubs will be at a significant advantage, a disadvantage, uh, following Brexit if they want to recruit from Europe. Um, and the Premier League's been looking for support to perhaps get some form of dispensation from the government. Um, the Premier League's also looking for support, apparently, in relation to the football calendar. Now, read into that what you will, but you know, for me, that's uh, cutting back on the Carabao Cup mm. and uh, certainly replays in terms of the FA Cup, trying to get support from that. Um, and then the third one is, is is the championship wage cap. Now, on the face of it, you'd look at that and say, well, why should clubs in the Premier League give a hoot yeah. about wages in the championship? Um, but then you start to think about this on a slightly more insidious level. Um, if, if you are an existing non-Big Six Premier League club, your your ambition is to avoid relegation. Yeah. So if the clubs in the championship are coming up on lower uh, wage bills, the chances are that their squads aren't perhaps as good as they could have been. Mm. Um, so it, it's, it's more likely to create yo-yo clubs between the Premier League and the championship. But also... It's it's going to allow those those non big clubs in the in the Premier League to be able to poach players from the Championship far easier, which again is going to reinforce the gap. Um, so the proposal for the wage cap in the Championship is eighteen million pounds. Now that will be what we refer to as a squad salary cap. So you, you can play an individual player as much as you want, so long as you don't go over the squad total. 
Uh, but the present total, the, the present average in the championship is 34 million. Now that includes non-playing staff as well. But clearly, you know, the vast majority of money being paid by football clubs is going to players. So it's it's going to be a it's going to be a tough one. This. But this this is the bit I don't understand, Kieran, and I know that's my motto on on this pod. But it it comes with some risk because you know three of those non big six clubs will be relegated this time next year. So they're in, they're in danger of cutting off their own nose to spite their face, aren't they? Or, or are, they, are they putting timescales on this? No, um, I, th- I think this would have to be introduced for 2021-22 if it is going to come in. Um, but, but the loan, I mean, the, the EFL's cash hole exists now. So right. um, it, it could be that they will say that, that the Premier League will say, well, we want the wage cap to come in next season. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you that there are going to be potential losers. But also I anticipate that... If there is um, this squad salary cap of eighteen million pounds, there will be caveats and loopholes for those clubs relegated from the Premier League because clearly they're, they're coming down on average wage bills of a hundred million plus, which could again reinforce the yo-yo. So even if you do go down this season, you're walking into uh, a championship with with an average wage of eighteen instead of thirty four. That's going to put you an advantage. Yeah. Uh, if if for example your parachute payments are allowed to go towards wages on top of the eighteen, so uh, you know, ne- negotiations will be taking place. Um, and um, I-, I think the Premier League's probably in a slightly stronger negotiating position than the EFL because yeah, the EFL clubs need the cash more. Yeah. Do we know how much the Premier League are offering? Is or is this just a it's. I think the loan was in the region of two hundred million. Oh, now, okay. uh, you know, remember it, it's a loan, so yeah. it's not fresh money. It's yeah. money which the Premier League will be looking to get back at some point in time. But I can't see commercial banks lending to EFL clubs at present because, as a bank manager, you'd you'd be daft to do so. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the risks involved are very high. Okay, now, to our surprise, I think, Paul Elliott has succeeded in his appeal to be granted an injunction to block the sale of Charlton Athletic. So does that make him the legal owner now? Um, No, the the, the legal owner is still East Street Investments, who bought the club, I think, for a pound or two pounds in January. Um, They were initially trying to sell to this guy called Paul Elliott. He failed the the owners and directors test, which which as we know is 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 quite a low bar. So to some doing, yeah. achievement, uh, he he's now penned uh, a, a, an open letter to fans. And he claims it was just due to an administrative issue. Now, if you if it was just an admin issue, um, given that the uh, I think this. Uh, this this ban on him took place at the start of August. You you would have thought that that could have been sorted out very quickly. So that that does seem a bit strange. Um, the, the the I think the concern from Charlton fans' point of view is that whilst this thing is dragging through the courts, um, they still can't sign players. The, the the embargo they have on signing players still exists. Um, I, I did a bit more digging into Paul Elliott, uh, this Manchester-based businessman, because uh, he was trying to take over East Street Investments via this company called Lex Dominus, 
Um, he claims him, he's a businessman. According to the Lex Dominus uh, background information, he's a property owner and developer. Now, you know, I, I've now got a large klaxon sounding in the background whenever it comes to when you see property developer and football ground yeah. mentioned in the same sentence. So I'm a bit twitchy there. He, he does have some other directorships of companies as well. So, again, I did a little bit of digging into the background. He's, he's got a couple of other companies, one of which is losing money every year, um, and the other one has got one pound worth of assets. So the, it, it does make you feel slightly uneasy. Uh, passing the owners and directors test should be a relatively straightforward um, exercise, provided you can prove uh, that you've got funding to run a club for a couple of years. Then, then I can't see... Um, why you should fail it. So I, I presume that's the reason why you failed it. Um, so that doesn't, to me, strike me as an admin issue. Mm. And that, as you say, that property owner and developer always just strikes a chord anyway, just in general makes the hackles rise, doesn't it, a little bit. Apologies to any of our listeners who are property owners and developers. Well, if we're all, I'm a property owner technically. Um, but there's some prime real estate in that part of South East London as well. So that would that would make perfect sense. So another club to keep an eye on. Um, final news story. Barnsley uh, have had talks with other EFL clubs about a move away from Oakwell. Why do they need permission from other EFL clubs, Kieran? And this is going to be difficult, isn't it, considering that the local authority owns half the stadium? Yeah, uh, again, we've said on many occasions, as soon as you've got separation of football ground from football club, things start to get awkward. So Oakwell is 50% owned by Barnsley Metropolitan Council and 50% owned by the Crine family who used to own the football club. Yeah. Barnsley Football Club are owned by a company called the BFC Investment Company based in Hong Kong. So therefore they own the football club, but they don't own Oakwell. They did have an option to buy 50% of Oakwell um, from the crime family, but by all accounts, they hadn't even paid all of the instalments for the football club. So therefore, the crime family turned around and said, well, if you've not paid your instalments for the football club, why should we sell you the football ground? Cool. So therefore, BFC Investments, they're now sort of toys out of pram. They're threatening to move Barnsley uh, and find somewhere else to play. Um, and you know, the council aren't happy about that. The crime family aren't happy about that. Um, I don't think the EFL would be particularly happy about that. They they do allow clubs on a short-term basis to play their games elsewhere, uh, as we've seen with Harrogate playing at Doncaster, Coventry playing yeah. at Birmingham. Um, Coventry had been playing at Northampton, remember. But you know, that, that's, that's not something they want because it, it creates a, another potential for a franchise FC, mm. uh, as, as we've seen at MK Dons arise. So um, it, it, it's, it's going to get messy. Um, and I, I suspect lawyers will make some money from this. How many times have we said if we if we made money out of every time you said lawyers will make money out of this story, we'd be we'd be actually making money, wouldn't we? I wouldn't have to nag Guy every second day. Um, right, questions. We got some good questions this week. The first one comes from Nathan Lawson. Um, basically, on the back of the exciting news that we saw fans in some stadia. Uh, on Saturday. But Nathan wants to know what effect does having no fans at matches have on merchandise sales for clubs in different leagues? Um, Right. I think it really does depend uh, upon the club because if we are looking at clubs in the lower divisions, 
the the club store tends to be the only place that you can physically yeah. buy the products um and therefore if matches aren't taking place you know you you go in you just want a match you you might want to go and buy it buy a shirt and so on so it will take away the impulse buys um and remember those impulse buys also include what I, what I think the, the the retail industry refers to as tat. You know, I'm, I'm, you've been into your mega store, and I've been into what what we what we've got in our place, and it's it's sort of the weird stuff. You know, the the, the strange hats and the gloves and all of the absolute nonsense. Which, if you've just beaten Liverpool or Manchester United or somebody who you dislike, uh, you're more inclined to buy. So I don't think that's going to take place. Um, all clubs do have uh, online stores as well. So I think we'll simply see a shift from online purchases, certainly as far as Leeds United are concerned. Uh, you know, they've been, uh, they, they've been having record sales of merchandise following their promotion. So that doesn't seem to have affected them. Um, in terms of third-party distributors, and here we're talking about the larger clubs, um, I, I think uh, that they will be hit because people aren't going to you know, JD Sports or Sports Direct or, or places of that nature on such a regular basis because of lockdown-related uh, issues, and, and the high street is is hurting. Whether those people will then go and buy online, some will, some won't. So, so overall, I think merchandise will, will take a moderate hit, um, but not a catastrophic one. Mm. Uh, I've heard that word tat used before by Ali, specifically in relation to my palace garden gnome, which uh, <laughs> I was very proud of. My, my next door neighbour's got one as well. Got a palace, my next door a palace, palace garden gnome? Yeah, yeah. A palace garden gnome? Oh, I like your next yeah, door yeah, neighbour. Yeah, yeah. oh, great. Mine's not even allowed in the garden. It's, it's a shame. <laughs> um, now, Nick Clifton. Nick, uh, God bless him. Nick Clifton has asked a, he's asked a biggie. Kieran, I can only, I can only say it's a, it's a, it came a little bit out of left field, but I'm very pleased to ask you. Um, Nick's question quite simply says, what percentage of owners in the EFL are wrongins, and how many are rightins? Um, and there's a note from Guy, rather plaintively, which says, let's maybe answer this without naming names. Well, what, what I'm going to do here, um, I'm going to apply what's referred to as Pareto's principle. Oh, yeah. Pareto's principle says that 80% of your phone calls are to 20% of your people. Um, and, and the same same really applies to the EFL. 80% of the, the bad luck stories, or the not bad luck, the bad news stories, apply to 20% of the club. So I, I, I went through my list of wrongans and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's around about 20% of clubs where I, I do feel uneasy about certain issues to do with the owners. I've got to be honest, there are many, many fantastic owners mm. in the EFL. You know, and, and here I, I will name names. You know, uh, Andy Holt at Accrington, mm. the, the Palioses at Tranmere, um, the people that own clubs such as Lincoln and Shrewsbury Town and Burton Albion, um, people who, who get the, the link between the, the club, the town, the community and so on. So, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd say the majority of, of owners are actually in it for the right reasons. Um, but around about 20% are, are people who um, I, I'm concerned about their, both their short-term and long-term motives for the club. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm quite pleased. I, I, I thought you were going to go higher than 20%. It's, 
it's a strange reason to be optimistic that only 20% of club owners are wrong-uns. But you know, in these difficult times, I'll take any reason for optimism, Kieran. Um, and then maybe if... Uh, uh, maybe if he emails in, we can give him individually some names. <laughs> uh, well, we'll have that for our Christmas special, our Roman special. Oh, that's a good idea. Like the, like the big match used to have outtakes. We'll do, we'll do for Christmas. We'll do, yeah. Yeah, we should do that wrong special. Now, Matt Lynch. Uh, Matt Lynch has asked a question. Again, this is one of the reasons I love doing this pod, because he's highlighted something that we all know about, but it's never occurred to me to ask about the finances. Matt's question is that Premier League sides tend to play their academy football games and women's games at lower league grounds. How cost effective is this for those lower league sides? Presumably they get a fee, of course, but it requires extra work. Do they, do they do it to improve relations for future loans or does that fee improve their books? No, the fee certainly does improve books. Um, the, the the costs of putting on, on matches in the WSL are, are relatively low, and, and part of the reason for that is is that the demographics of people who attend uh, tend to be different than the men's game. So therefore, you need uh, fewer stewards, for example, so uh, and, and security based issues. Um, so there, there's there's a rental benefit. Then you can be, then the the uh, the host club, as it were, um, who who is uh, having the match on behalf of the, the, the Premier League or the WSL club, they'll be taking the money from the catering and things of that nature on top of that. Um, so so there is a financial benefit. The reason why the um, the, the bigger clubs like their matches not be taking place on the ground is that they don't want to upset the groundsman. If if you take at a uh, at at a football pitch these days, and you know, and, and anybody that's anybody who is a lot younger than myself and Kevin, take take a look at on YouTube at matches that took place in the seventies and eighties, and it was it was rutted mud a lot of the time. Um, and what we have today is groundsmen are very protective. Um, we are dealing with. Uh, athletes who are worth tens and tens of millions of pounds. So the last thing you want is a match where uh, yeah, the pitch isn't as good on condition because it's been used too often. Mm. Having said that, what we were starting to see last season was for a few matches, um, the the senior club, as it were, were using the host the, the, the main stadium. And the reason for that is that if, if you take a look at what's been happening in the WSL, we've now got Manchester United and Manchester City in the WSL. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were you know, big crowds there. Um, Everton and Liverpool were both in the WSL last season. And then you've got uh, Arsenal and Spurs. So um, I think this is is testament to the fact that there's, there is a potential audience um, in, in the WSL, which could be quite significant. Um, and therefore, you don't want those matches taking place at a, at a local, you know, either a non-league ground or a, a, a League Two ground when, uh, you, know, you, you could have tens of thousands attending for, for some of these matches uh, when they tend to be derbies. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. 
and they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Yeah, if, uh, if there are any football fans listening to this who are naive enough to think that the most important person at a football club is the manager or the uh, owner, think again. It's the that everyone's terrified of the groundsman at every club. Absolutely, it's the same. It's the same at cricket clubs. You just, you just, you can do, you can do what you want, but don't upset the groundsman. Basically, um, thank you for that question, Matt. It's very interesting. Now, Peter Hurley is a Birmingham City fan. And clearly, like my mother-in-law's neighbours up there in Quinton, has a pessimistic streak. Uh, following the sale, says Peter, of Jude Bellingham to Borussia Dortmund, combined with the current ownership and financial situation of my club, it got me wondering about the sell-on clause, which is rumoured to be 25%, uh, which is, would be huge if it is. So if, say, Peter says Man United buy him in two years for £100 million, that's a cool £25 million for Birmingham City. Um, actually, that's quite optimistic for a Brummie. Uh, but but what happens if Birmingham do a bury, says Peter, referring to type. If, if Birmingham do do a bury, God forbid, would a Phoenix club be eligible to receive that buy on money? Sell on. Right. Um, what we are talking here is what's referred to as contingent asset. A contingent asset is defined as an asset which may or may not arise uh, at a future date. Relate, uh, I mean, it is dependent upon an uncertain future event. So I went and did some homework on this. Now, if uh, if Birmingham City go into administration, um, then the uh, the sell-on clause will be one of the assets which could be sold by the administrators. Oh. Now, that could be sold as part of a deal to the, the replacement club, in which case the, the new owners w- would benefit for it. Um, possibly, and you know, I think we'd have to take legal advice here, um, it could be sold separately. So um, you know, what, what quite often would happen is... Um, it, it could be that uh, you know, Borussia Dortmund actually, when Birmingham, you know, no, no, if Birmingham go into administration, which isn't going to happen, we all hope, um, they might approach the administrators and say, look, there's a 25% sell-on clause here. Tell you what, we'll give you £3 million now and call it quits. Right. And then it's up to the administrators whether or not to make that decision. So that there, it, it could be beneficial. Um, or it could be separately dealt with by the administrators, but it would be one of the assets of the the football club um, should it go into administration. Mm. Yeah, we we could take legal advice, but I don't think we can afford it, can we? Um, <laughs> no. Unless, well, we could. I, I know a bloke in the, in my local pub who's a very very highly qualified pub lawyer. I'll, I'll ask him. Um, now, Joseph Garner. Hello, Joseph, is in Brisbane, and he has a follow-up question to our discussion of players' wages that we had just recently in Australia. He says the A-League is struggling with attendances falling and poor TV ratings, which has led to a vastly reduced broadcast deal. What do you think, Kieran, of the A-League's financial model, and does it have 
an uncertain financial future, which certainly does sound like it's got an uncertain financial future. Yeah, I mean, if, if you take a look at the A-League, there, there's not many teams in it. The the average attendance is only 8,700. I think the problem um, that uh, football has in Australia is that it's, it's trying to compete in a market where you've already got somebody with a dominant position. Yeah. If, if you take a look at uh, Aussie rules, the average attendance there for matches is 35,000. Know, that is Australia's national sport. Yeah. You know, Aussie rules has got the fourth highest average attendances of, of any sporting event apparently in the world. It's wow. only behind the NFL, the Premier League and the Bundesliga, which, which is a hell of an achievement. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, try, trying to, squeeze football in to compete against that and of course you know that that's also going to be reflected as far as the tv deal is concerned mm. uh, it does give them a problem and it's not just aussie rules um australia is is very keen on rugby league so the nrl clubs they're averaging 15,000 attending you've got super rugby which is rugby union that's ten and a half thousand. You you take that out of the, the, the sporting fan base. And Australia isn't a huge country uh, to begin with. There's not a lot left over for football. It, it's simply not not a uh, it's, it's simply not a sport that gets Australian fans going. Mm. Uh, you know, the standard, because of the wages, tends to be OK. But again, nothing to get overexcited about. And because the standard's not great, it means that the TV ratings aren't great because the quality of football that you're watching um is isn't brilliant and, and as, as we've experienced and now I, I appreciate yesterday you wouldn't have given a hoot uh, about the attendance at old trafford but in general watching matches in front of big crowds is is a more enjoyable experience for the tv audience well if, if you've only got three clubs with attendances of more than ten thousand in the a-league it's uh it, it's it's not an attractive product and mm. that's reflected in the price yeah, and before anybody tweets in, we are aware that Australia is a huge country, but Kieran was talking about population-wise, in which it's not. Um, so, yeah, so Australian football having to compete in a relatively small population with those sports is always going to be difficult. Natalie Coveley, uh, talking about uh, broadcasting, as you just were, Natalie Coveley asks about the Premier League's rebate to broadcasters. Is it spread equally amongst uh, all clubs, or is it pro rata, and do relegated clubs still have to pay it? Um, well, I don't think that decision has been made. I know Liverpool were very keen for it to be uh, on a on a fixed basis, split evenly between the twenty clubs. Um, other clubs will say, well, "Well, hold on. If the money is given out on a proportionate basis, surely it should be sacrificed on a proportionate basis as well." So, so we're waiting to see that, that there's there's been no there's been no white smoke coming out of Premier League towers. Um, that that rebate is being spread over two seasons, is, is my understanding, um, to help clubs with cash flow. Uh, but it is almost certain to impact uh, upon parachute payments because parachute payments themselves are a percentage of the money which goes to clubs in, in the Premier League. And that, and that was part of the original deal signed between the Premier League and the EFL um, at a time when everybody thought that Premier League TV deals were only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But they, they do seem to have hit a ceiling. Um, the, the Premier League has also just uh, signed a, a new one-year deal 
with uh, with a Chinese company because we, we were talking recently about the the Chinese deal being scrapped um, by PPP TV, um, and um, my understanding is the the original deal was worth five hundred and fifty million pounds over three years. And it looks as if uh, this one-year deal that the Premier League has signed with Tencent, they're being very coy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing stories of around about £25 million pounds oh, wow. for the season. You know, that's compared to 550 over three years. So that's what, yeah, 100, £175 million a year. So uh, you know, cl- clubs will be taking a big hit. Christopher James. Uh, I'm not sure if he's a Brentford fan, but he certainly wants to know about Brentford. As far as I'm aware, says Christopher, uh, and this is, you know, to be fair, if I was a better host, I would have taken that as a clue to look this up. Uh, as far as I'm aware, says Christopher, Brentford don't have a youth system anymore. Does that saving put them in a better financial position than other clubs? Uh, it's a good question, but Brentford are run differently to other clubs anyway, aren't they? That's right. Um, Br- Brentford, um, th- they did use to have a youth team um, and, and they scrapped it a few years ago because they had some really promising young players who got snapped up by Premier League clubs. Yeah. And remember, under the elite player performance plan, suck it, kids. You know, you're just, you're just going to have to uh, uh, take it on the chin. As far as the Premier League are concerned, the smaller clubs get really shafted um, by, by the, the fixed amounts of compensation which are available. So uh, Brentford lost a couple of really promising young players. So therefore they said, um, and, and this, was the, this was the idea of, uh, a guy called Robert Robert Rowan, and uh, I, I once taught Rob, and, and Rob, a fantastic guy. He, he tragically died at the age of twenty eight, um, but he, this was his uh, this was his amazing scheme that they they replaced it with uh, a B team, and what what their B does um, it just it plays a series of friendlies against uh, really good teams in Europe. So they'll go and play Bayern Munich's under nineteens. But also they'll play matches against uh, senior clubs in, in London, senior non-league clubs, to give different types of experience. Um, it, it's a lot cheaper than running a youth team. I, I know that Huddersfield have uh, copied this scheme. Uh, Brentford are in a strong position in, in many regards because clearly London's a big catchment area. Um, and, and they simply acknowledge that you've got lot, all of those big clubs in, in, uh, in London who are getting rid of 90% plus mm. of their academy players at the age of 18 and 19. So the, the B team is effectively an under-21 team. So it gives Brentford two more years to develop these players. And, and Brentford's uh, ability to spot talent and develop it, I, I think, is is second to none uh, in the EFL. Yeah, we, we've seen Ollie Watkins go this summer. Neil Mopay went the previous season. Tarkovsky. You know, it, it, it's they've they've had this line of talent, hmm. um, and and you've got to give them a huge amount of credit for the way they've done it. But uh, from a financial perspective, it's it, it costs around about half of running a youth team. Yeah, and of course, the difficulty is for. Teams like Brentford trying to encourage youngsters to go there. Is a, you know, Palace are now a, a Category A academy, which kind of gives us license to be a predator as well. So, you know, as as every Premier League club has got a, 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 in London has got a Category A academy now, 
it's almost impossible for a team like Brentford or Leighton Orient to to attract the best youngsters. So that's a very sensible scheme. Now, um, our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Steph Johnson. Um, I say question, it's a cross between a question and a pitch. Um, Steph says, is there any merit in the idea of the Premier League taking ownership of their own streaming rights? So they could have an app loaded onto a Fire Stick or Smart TV that allowed people to subscribe to one team or to all games? Or is the money currently generated by Sky and BT just too great to take the risk? Well, um, I think quite a few people already get an app on a Fire Stick um, from their mate Big Dave down the pub for very reasonable prices. But I don't think that's sanctioned by the Premier League. <laughs> um, what, what we're looking at here is the uh, what we would refer to as vertical integration, where, where the Premier League, um, they, they take control of the product and the way of getting the product to, to the consumers. At present, it's too high a risk. Um, because they don't have the expertise, they they don't have the knowledge of the market. Um, so I, I don't anticipate this being um, this this coming through in in the next round of TV, um, and, and then and the the Premier League turning round to Sky, who whom of whom they were, they were on very good terms with, by the way, hmm. um, and saying we're taking our ball home and we're going to try try to make all the money from it. Is there an opportunity in in the medium term for that to take place? Um, I think certainly that is the case. Some clubs have already discussed it. Um, and, and what would happen is the the Premier League would then use uh, you know, either you know, the BBC, Sky, BT. They would use their expertise in production um, to to make the shows. Um, and, and the Premier League would keep all of the money from the subscriptions themselves. So uh, it, it could be uh, that in the next round of TV matches, and, and we're presently... Uh, in in year two of a three year deal domestically, um, it could it could be that there's going to be one package of matches which the Premier League take in house just to see um, you know is, is there a demand for it, um, and if so, the the Premier League could learn their craft by having you know one package out of ten or eight. Um, so, so they they can find out what works and what doesn't work, and then perhaps in 2025, uh, yeah, they could then potentially take it all in house. But you know, as, as I was saying to you earlier, they're very happy with with uh, the relationship with both Sky and BT. Uh, you know, the, the quality of the broadcasting is very high, um, and there's only so many pundits to go round as well. Mm. As you know, Kieran, I'm not technical, and I'll be honest with you. Every time I hear the word fire stick, I just think of King Louis in the Jungle Book. To be honest, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 100 percent sure what one is. And Ali's not here at the moment, so I can't check. Um, it's, it's a dongle, Kevin. Which uh, okay, <laughs> just the glee with which you say the word dongle. You just you, you manage to make that sound like it's going to get us taken off the air. It's <laughs> why don't you just say dongle there? Dong, dongle's a great word, isn't it? But let's. Um, I kept quiet when you said take it on the chin as well, so I was very proud of myself there. So I'm, I'm, and I, I could, I could, I could sense you bridling as you lured the bait in front of me. Um, uh, a final question comes from Jimmy Williams. Now, Jimmy Williams says, "I imagine, uh, probably correctly, Jimmy, uh, I imagine mid-table clubs get more income when playing the big dog teams, but does it make much of a difference to smaller clubs' incomes when local rivals are in the same league? For example," says Jimmy. Uh, would Palace prefer it if Millwall, Charlton, uh, Brighton were in the Premier League with them? Um, to which I say, A, Jimmy, who are you calling a smaller club? 
uh, and B, no, of course we wouldn't want him in the Premier League. I don't care how much financial gain you get out of it. But does Jimmy have a point? I mean, the nature of local rivalry, does that make those games more lucrative? Well, I, th- I think a lot depends on which division you're in. Um, you know, Palace sell 100% of tickets for all matches. Mm, so therefore, they're not, they're not going to sell more tickets if they were playing um, uh, rivals on a more regular basis. Um, if, if you take a look at match day income, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a multiple, isn't it? It's, it's, the, uh, it's the number of people attending multiplied by the price. Now, if, if, if it was Millwall, Charlton and Brighton playing you guys – and that was replacing, with no disrespect to these clubs, you know, Burnley, Leicester and Watford. Mm. Um, it could be, and I don't know enough about the Palace pricing structure, that you might be able to classify those as A-class games. So therefore, the, the non-season ticket holder people would have to pay more money. But you've got potentially a bit more income coming in. You've also got to look at things from a cost perspective. You and I both know that... If, if there are more rival games, then there's going to be more stewarding costs yeah. and more policing costs. And if, and those could easily outweigh the, the extra income because for a club like Palace, you, you've got a, you've got a very substantial season ticket holder base. The away tickets are going to be sold at a fixed price of 30 pounds. So therefore we're only talking about a relatively small number of tickets being sold, um, where you might be able to claim an extra, you might be able to get an extra fiver per person off it um and against that you've got to employ more stewards and the you know, the met will be um use um, employing more people and charging you potentially more uh, on top of that so i'm not convinced it would be um from a financial perspective better off um and also it could be that the the police might insist on some form of restricted attendance um, and bigger gaps between home and away fans. Well, that's interesting you say that, as I know quite a few Palace fans, and I'm sure this would be replicated across every club, that if, for example, we play you in an evening game, they're slightly reluctant to go, and they certainly wouldn't bring their kids because, you know, as you say, the atmosphere is much more hostile. There's far more police visible, which makes some people uneasy. So it, there are swings and roundabouts, and certainly no disrespect to Millwall and Charlton fans, but again, they're, they're games that some Palace fans would be probably thinking twice about going to, especially if they're taking their, you know, their granny. Um, uh, so that's an interesting question, Jimmy. But again, you know, smaller club, who, you know, really, please. Um, Kieran, as ever, pleasure to be in your company. So as I say uh, to our lovely listeners, if you've got questions for us for next week or the week after, and I'm sorry, we do have a little bit of a backlog at, at the moment. Um, uh, it's just like those signs in hospital uh, departments where it says, don't get cross if somebody goes in before you. They might be in a different department. Sometimes, if your question isn't uh, 100% topical, we might hold it over for a week or two. But uh, we do value all your questions. Um, uh, so, But you might have to be patient before you get them asked, I'm afraid. But please keep them coming in. And it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And it's over to Kieran for his big purple stick speech. <laughs> yeah, well, once again, folks, thanks for your uh, thanks for your reviews. I think we're up to nine hundred and ninety-seven written reviews wow. on on the uh, on the big purple icon uh, on Apple Podcasts. Um, we, we do appreciate them. Um, it it does make a difference somehow. Myself and Kevin don't understand it, but uh, you know, all the money goes to producer guy, and, <laughs> and he uses these to buy half and half scarves at Old Trafford. Being a Manchester United <laughs> fan, and he's got the world's biggest collection um, of half and half scarves. So you know, you, you're looking after a man and and the love of his life. 
uh, in doing so. But if you could keep them coming in, if you give us five stars, it doesn't doesn't actually matter what you write. You know, so you, you can you, you can slag us off to your heart's content as long as you give us the five stars at the same time, which might seem somewhat paradoxical. Uh, and apart from that, look after yourselves, look after your loved ones and stay safe. Do you know what, Kieran? Uh, I hate to, to top the stay safe message, but I, I, the moment I set eyes on Guy, I knew there was something about him, and now you've put your finger on it. Half and half scarf. He, he just looked, as soon as I saw him, he looked like a half and half scarf man. And that explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> Bye, everybody. See you next time. Bye-bye. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.